Welcome in to this week's episode, episode 114 of the Sports Gospel Show here with Darren and Andrew back on this week's episode. This is going to be part one of our college football preview. We're going to look at the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. In a couple of weeks, we'll do part two with Shannon and Kevin looking at the Big 12, the SEC, and the mid-major, some contenders we think can strike from that level. Before we get into that, just some quick topics here. Uh, starting with the UFC card, 291, we were hyped for this last week, and dare I say, we were right on almost every, if not all, the fights. Had Miranda Maverick win by submission in the early prelims. Uh, I don't think in the prelim card we had any that we talked about. Uh, we, we had Kevin Holland, which you said you took over Michael Chiesa. I believe I took Chiesa. Bobby Green taking out Tony Ferguson with like six seconds left. That that broke my heart. I put some money down on Ferguson. And then your your guy, Derek Lewis, with the win. And then the two big top fights, Alex Pareda defeating Jan Blachowicz in a dis- split decision. And then the fight of the night, a stunning knockout, Gaethje knocking out Poirier with that amazing head kick. So we can start there with UFC 291, the card that was. Yeah, that Derek Lewis flying knee was absolutely the highlight of the night. Even with the Gaethje surprise knockout, Still, I don't think anybody saw that Derek Lewis flying knee in the first 10 seconds come in. Yeah, who knew Derek uh, Lewis could jump? Right. I've never seen a heavyweight jump, like run in and jump like that. Usually that's for the guys in the lighter divisions to try and do. But um, he absolutely stunned. I, I can't even remember who he was fighting. And we were supposed to have Wonder Boy, but Wonder Boy's fight got called off. Um so that's how Derek Lewis moved into that spot. And luckily for the UFC, it was a pretty big highlight. So I'm trying to you think called, what... you called Derek Lewis by uh, TKO last week. So you yeah. got Maverick by submission and uh, Derek Lewis by TKO. Right. So makes me feel better. You. Makes me feel better about missing the Yamblahovich. But again, a split decision. Got to run that fight back. You'd think between these two at some point in time. So, and yeah, I was, I was thrilled with the ones I got right. And if people are not familiar with Derek Lewis, picture like, like Warren Sapp running, jumping and kicking somebody in the, uh, not kicking, punching somebody in the face. I'm trying to think who a more modern equivalent would be, but Derek Lewis is listed at 6'3", 265, and he is thick. Yeah. And Domakong Sue. Oh, there he is. That's a good one. Or like, uh, I mean, lighter than Indomitian Sioux, but I don't, I don't even know what to equate it to. Just imagine like a really big NFL defensive lineman just running and jumping at someone with their knee and hitting <laughs> and connecting, connecting. Right. That's what it was. So, so all, all in all, pretty, pretty solid card. I think you got. A good mix of submissions, KOs, TKOs. The Poirier-Gaethje fight is what everybody's going to talk about. We were high on Gaethje here. My $10 bet appreciated Gaethje winning. He was the underdog. Gets revenge on uh, his Poirier loss from five years previous. And I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect this has to set him up to take on the winner of Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira, who are fighting, I believe it's October, their fight scheduled for. Yeah, I believe so. I think we're going to get a Gaethje and the winner of that one at some point, probably early next year. Yeah, and it's, uh, he, he is the BMF champion because we're still doing that thing for some reason. 
Yeah, I don't know why we're doing that. It was it was fun the one time with Diaz and Masvidal because it made sense. It's a fun little gimmick, but now it's yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it made sense for that one fight, but not any longer. And I I never thought about Gaethje as a kicker, and I'm going through his fight history. He's a knockout artist, but usually does it with his hands. From what I can tell, this is his first ever knockout you know, with a head kick. A couple TKLs with you know kicks, but. He's never just stone cold decimated somebody with a kick to the skull. Yeah, and I really thought that he's a good wrestler too. So I thought he might try some more grappling stuff, but he really didn't. He really just stood around and went hand to hand and then ultimately ended it with a kick to the head, but um that was that was really something. I think we say this about a lot of guys, but if you're new to UFC and you're looking for somebody to cheer on, become a Justin Gaethje fan. Or a Derek Lewis fan like me. <laughs> it just, no matter what the odds are, bet Derek Lewis by knockout TKO. You you may be wrong half the time, but the times you're right. He has the most knockouts in UFC history. Does he? Dang. He does. After He was tied for first. Now he has 14 and he's all alone in first. It does feel like he fights a lot too. Like he's just willing to bang all the time. He's 27 and 11 now, I believe, after Saturday's win. Good for him. And, I mean, the best part are just his antics, right? He gets the knockout, he goes running around in nothing but his underwear, takes off his shorts, you know. <laughs> as as you do after being in a war. Yeah, it, he's just something else. He's just a character, so. so yeah. Very fun guy. He's not going to win every fight. He's not a championship contender, but he's got the entertainment factor down. Right. And we were, we were talking off-air the next UFC card will be middle to late August. Sugar Sean O'Malley are uh, getting a tidy, title shot against Aljamain Sterling. So bantamweight title, Aljamain Sterling versus Sugar Sean O'Malley. And then Whaley Zhang against Amanda Lemos. Lemos. Now let's, you're talking about entertaining characters. Derek Lewis and Sugar Sean are cut from the same cloth in that regard. Right. Yeah. That Sugar Sean fight, I believe it's actually August 19th yep. is UFC 292. So. I'll be posted up in my local Buffalo Wild Wings again. Oh well, go Sean O'Malley in that fight. Um, yep. So what else do we have going on here? As we're recording this, there's Women's World Cup things happening that I've not been staying up on. We've got baseball trade deadline recording earlier this week, but from what I can see, not a whole lot happening. Marquee in the trade deadline, other than Max Scherzer choosing to go to the Rangers, which I think is curious. He wanted to go to a contender. Took uh, waived his no trade clause. We could go to the Rangers. He unless he knows something we don't about the Rangers. I did not consider the Rangers as a legitimate World Series contender. I thought they were a nice story, but if they had Scherzer, they may be the real deal. They actually are a legitimate contender. Um, they have a lot of guys. They had a lot of All Stars this year. A lot of Rangers All Stars this year. So it. They will be a contender. I don't think they'll actually end up winning it all, but having Scherzer helps them out quite a bit because they were really just lighter on the on the pitching side. They had Eovaldi, but they needed another pitcher to kind of shore up the rotation, and Scherzer does that for them. So I think this is a really great move for, for both parties, both interested parties. Maybe we get a Verlander trade, but I doubt it. The Cubs made a couple trades as well. They decided to buy instead of sell. 
uh, which I wasn't sure. But uh, before we get to all that, we missed we missed a really big, another big fighting event. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. boxing. Yeah, ESPN really wanted me to care about that, and I I know nothing about modern boxing, so I had I had no yeah. opining. Yeah, well, uh, basically, Terrence Crawford is now the uh, best pound for pound fighter that there is in the boxing world now that Floyd Mayweather's done. Uh, it's pretty much Terrence Terrence Crawford and everybody else. Which like so, nine belts does he have now? Because every time I see a boxer, they have several different weight division belts from one of the four different sanctioning bodies, and I can't. I have no idea what the main boxing thing is. Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure either. I just know that it was a big fight. That it was a lot of people were equating it to um, Tyson Holyfield. Oh wow, that kind of a that kind of a fight, um, or some of the bigger fights of Lennox Lewis career, Lennox Lewis's career. Um, so people were equating this fight to that, and. Terrence Crawford didn't just win. He won convincingly. Like, it wasn't even close. Um, and a lot of people thought that Spence Jr. was on Crawford's level, and Crawford just showed that that was not the case at all. So, uh, knocked him down three times. Just a dominant performance, and they... And I don't think they went the distance. I think they ended up stopping the fight early because Crawford was just so dominant and Spence couldn't continue. But um, that happened. I didn't get to watch it, obviously, because boxing puts all their events on on pay-per-view and very few places in the area show boxing fights. But Well, I I want Terrence Crawford against Tyson Fury then because that's a boxer that I know. Uh, we're going to get, um, Tyson Fury versus, um, who's the guy from the UFC? He just left. Uh, Nganu? Yes. Ooh, interesting. Nganu is going to take on Fury is the word on the street. Is I don't gonna... know when that's going to happen, but that'll be a, that'll be a pay-per-view. I don't know who, if it's going to be a, well, I guess Nganu left the UFC, so it's it's a boxing match. But well, but I think he signed with the PFL. But that's what I was wondering: are the rules going to be MMA rules or boxing rules? I think it's going to be a boxing match. And uh, you, Francis Ngannou, supposedly the heaviest hands ever in mixed martial arts. I, yeah, even if it's just like an unsanctioned thing, like the McGregor Mayweather fight, that's just for pomp and circumstance. Should be a great show right. between the two of them. But it would make the most sense to be in boxing rules. Yeah, it'll be in boxing rules between Fury and Ngannou, I believe. Well, we'll have the updates on it as that gets near along with everything else. Have Austin in his current plan next week to talk a lot more baseball as well. We'll circle back to that later in the topsy-turvy season. That's seeing the Padres and the Mets and these high-dollar teams be bad and your shoestring budgets like Baltimore and Arizona and young teams like you mentioned with the Rangers all leading the way right now. So we've got a fun upside-down baseball season to keep an eye on as well and along with all these other fun stories as we get into august right in the in talking about the women's world cup i believe we touched on it just briefly there just mentioned it uh the usa women play portugal at 2 a.m our time on tuesday morning so i will not be staying up for that one (laughs) um 
essentially because of the draw with the Netherlands, the USA women need to win, are favored to win pretty easily. Uh, but they need to win to win the group stage. If they win, they win the group stage. Um, so basically that means they're at the top of their group. They advance to the knockout round. If they were to somehow lose, that would be not the end of the world, but I believe it would mean that they come in second in their group stage, which would be considered a a big failing on their part. I, yeah, I would have to imagine we are the prohibitive favorite. Yeah, minus 400 last I knew. So that's a pretty big favorite in terms of a soccer match. Uh, have you been following the NFL 100 at all? We didn't really have this on the docket, but I was just looking, saw that they had the top 100. They've made it up to the top. Uh, the top 40 are left to come as we're recording this. Yeah, that's not something that I put too much stock in, to be honest. I know it's done by the players, but I, I feel like, the players don't actually get to watch other players as often as maybe media members do. And so I don't really put a ton of stock into the, into the player rankings of the NFL top 100. Yeah, a lot of big names we've already seen, but it will be curious to see what the players think of each other. You, one would assume that Patrick Mahomes is going to be number one. Yeah, I would assume so as well. Um, speaking of, uh, we talked about quarterback on Netflix. I heard today that it's confirmed that Joe Burrow will be on season two oh, nice. of, of quarterback. And also Joe Burrow is okay. He had a little bit of an injury scare, but Joe Burrow is okay. will be ready to go for the regular season. Bengals might hold him out of some preseason stuff with a calf strain, but thankfully he's going to be good to go. That would have dramatically changed the NFL season and not in a good way. Yeah, Joe, there's no reason to play him before they absolutely need to. I think they're going to be fine. I wonder who'd be good on that show. You'd think they'd get a young guy. Between Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, I wonder who'd be the most intriguing to follow in a situation like that if we're looking at rookies. Yeah, I wonder if they... if I'm not sure if they'll follow any rookies because the youngest guy they followed last year was Mahomes. Because they followed Cousins, Mariota, and Mahomes. So following Burrow is actually kind of the youngest they've gone. But I would like to see a rookie as well. But I'm not sure if um, the teams that that rookie plays for would want that pressure on a rookie, if you know what I mean. Right. Makes sense. That's a lot of pressure to have the cameras following you. So I think it's more likely that they get like a second-year guy like a Kenny Pickett if they're going to go young. But I would like to see Burrow, Herbert, Kenny Pickett, Lamar. There's there's so many good quarterbacks that they could pick from. So, Well, I guess since Peyton's producing it, they can just wait until Arch is a star rookie. Follow him. Yeah, his nephew. Yeah, they can follow his nephew all around. Well, without further... Oh, one more quick question, and then we'll get into the meat of it, do these three previews. Where are you in the great... Aaron Rodgers, Sean Payton debate. Oh man. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know what Sean Payton was thinking really, but I'm really just looking forward to week five. I was, I hadn't looked at the schedule. I was wondering if they played each other. Jets at Denver in week five. Not love it. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Um, 
I mean, Sean Payton wasn't wrong in what he said. It's just maybe you don't say that out loud. Well, that's I. I've always kind of liked Sean Payton. I he's just don't love him, don't hate him, just have liked him. But now he's really flying up in my book. And you actually, when you say the inside thing out loud, because we never get that, we get coach speak and boring sound bites. But when somebody's candid and fun, Sean Payton's rising up in my book for that. Yeah, but did you have to really put down someone else? I don't know. I th- I feel like it's a big thing that Sean Payton's doing to just take all the pressure off Russell Wilson. But, yeah. Because now when we talk about the Broncos, all we talk about is Sean Payton. And we don't talk about Russell Wilson. That's true. And how bad he looked last year. We just talk about Sean Payton and how he's going to help the Broncos. Which right. he will, but I don't know if uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, let's get into this. Our three conference college previews this week. We're going to start with Andrew's beloved Big Ten. Some, like Andrew, might say the best conference in college football. So to set the stage here, I'll let Andrew do most of the actual analysis. But Michigan finally toppled Ohio State to uh, 9-0 last year, 13-1 in the conference. We'll start in the east here and then go over to the west. This is still Michigan and Ohio State's world. Everybody else is living in it. Penn State, always kind of at number three. Maryland, Michigan State, Indiana, Rutgers. I'm not sure that there's anybody there that's even going to challenge the top three. But we'll start here with the Big Ten East, and then we'll go west, and then we'll merge them together. So what do you have with the eastern half of your beloved conference? Well, Michigan has won the east two years in a row now, uh, 2021 and 2022. They made the playoffs. Obviously didn't have the outcome they wanted against TCU. They wanted to be playing Georgia in the national championship. Um, but anyways, uh, the East is, yeah, there's a really strong top three there. And the way all three of those teams are built, I'm not sure who to pick because each of them have their own kind of questions. Uh, Michigan has some guys to replace on defense. They have a lot of wide receivers to break in that are new on offense, but their running game is obviously going to be a strong point. Strong point. We think JJ McCarthy's good and he is um, Ohio state obviously has the best wide receiver room in the country with Marvin Harrison, Jr. Abuka, Carnell Tate, Julian Fleming. Um, they're just absolutely loaded for Barrett at a wide receiver and their running backs aren't too bad either. Travion Henderson, Mayon Williams, and that's really the whole um, East top three of the East division. They have running backs like all of those top three have a really great top two running backs as well, in addition to all the other weapons that they have on offense, because uh, Penn State has Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, who combined for 1800 yards and 22 touchdowns as true freshmen. Last year, you have Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum. I mean, Blake Corum goes down and Donovan Edwards doesn't miss a beat. We already know the talent of Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. And we know the talent of Ohio State's wide receivers as well. Uh, But we don't know with Ohio State, specifically their quarterback situation, post-CJ Stroud. Kyle McCord is probably going to be the starter, but we don't know what he'll look like. And then similarly for Penn State, they have plenty of uh, offense around Drew Aller, but Drew Aller is a true sophomore who did get a little bit of playing time last year when Clifford uh, went down. 
but didn't get a whole lot and isn't completely broken in, but people think he's going to be good. Former five-star kid, I believe. So there's some questions about each of those teams. I think overall there's probably less questions about Michigan as opposed to the others. I'm going to go with the team that's not breaking in a new quarterback, and that's why I've got Michigan winning East and then Ohio State and Penn State in a very heated battle for second uh, that I think Ohio State is inevitably going to win. Um, but we we could absolutely see a situation where Michigan and Ohio State are both undefeated again heading into that last game of the season. I, I totally would not put, the, put it past them. Uh, but both of them have to play Penn State, obviously, and that's going to be a tall task for both of them. I think that Drew Aller is probably going to be good, and that's going to take Penn State up another level from where they were last year. I th- no offense to Sean Clifford. I think he was a decent quarterback, but I think that Aller could take them up a notch. And then, like you said, I think of the other teams in the East, Maryland is the one that maybe has a chance just because they have – a Talia Tugavailoa, I'm really down on Michigan State. They lost uh, their quarterback. They lost Keon Coleman. They lost a whole lot to the transfer transfer portal. And then I think Indiana and Rutgers are just bad teams. Um, so I think it's really going to finish probably Michigan 1, Ohio State 2, Penn State 3, Maryland 4, Michigan State 5, I'll put Rutgers at six because I have slightly more confidence in them and Indiana at seven. No love for Greg Schiano. Uh, no, I have a lot of respect for Greg Schiano. That's why they're going to finish six and not seven. <laughs> like uh, he's, the re- he's the reason I'm picking them not to finish last. I was just looking at some of this. I eat. As much as I openly admit my Michigan fandom and my deep abiding hatred for Ohio State, I'm willing to be on the Marvin Harrison Jr. for Heisman campaign. I just like when it's not quarterbacks and he seems like he may be the best skilled position player in the country. Love Blake Corum. We'll see how he bounces back from the knee injury. But these all kind of tie together thinking about the Big Ten quarterbacks. J.J. McCarthy, at least uh, so I PFF's preseason teams, J.J. McCarthy is the number one and then Talia Tugavailoa's too. I'm sure Ohio State, this Kyle McCord's going to go out and be a beast. It's just weird that Ohio State feels like they have a question at quarterback after being so good at the position for so long. And I'm just, I'm not sold on J.J. McCarthy as much as I'm the Michigan defender of this podcast. He doesn't blow me away the way some other guys do. I'm much more into the Caleb Williams, even Drake May, and some of these other guys we'll get to over the next couple of weeks. So I still still need to see a little bit more to be on the McCarthy hype train. We'll get to both of those guys tonight, actually. Um, but yeah, I'm not on the McCarthy hype train to where he's a Heisman contender. I just simply think he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Uh, and then one guy that we need to mention for fans to get familiar with, I'm going to say his name wrong because every college football pundit I've listened to says it different but he will be the first offensive lineman taken. He's just as polished. He would have been the first guy drafted this year. He's just as good as a Tristan Wirfs or a Peter Skaronsky or a Sean Slater were when they came out. Olumiyawa Fashnow. Again, I butchered the name, but I've heard it pronounced about seven. I've heard it pronounced about seven different ways this week, so I'm not even sure what the right way is anymore, but 
Yeah, I'm not even going to try again, but the offensive tackle for Penn State. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about, and he is very good. He is very, very good. Um, but And uh, I, the, the wonderfully named defensive end for Penn State, Chop Robinson. Yeah, that is quite the name. That is quite the name. Um, yeah, and then Michigan, I mean, they have – they have a couple of guys back, I believe, that are going to be good. I think Chris Jenkins on defensive tackle. You've got Mike Sanders still back at defensive back. And I'm sure there's others that we'll learn about too. But I just expect Michigan to be good and reloaded on defense. And then I really like uh, the Michigan offense, with, especially with Sharon Moore as an offensive play caller. I think he's one of the great young offensive minds in the game. And so that's why, again, why I'm giving an edge to Michigan. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Michigan. Love my Wolverine. So I'll take them. I'm going to go Penn state for the two spot. I think Ohio state gets tripped up a place or two here or there. Uh, Michigan does get to host Ohio state this year. Michigan does have to go to Penn state. Otherwise a pretty manageable schedule for them. Not the toughest of crossover games. No Wisconsin, no Iowa for the Wolverines this year. And a pretty easy non-conference, so they'll be they'll be primed the first four weeks by going to Nebraska. It feels like things really set up well for Michigan. I like Penn State just to change it up. Ohio State three, and like you say, it kind of drops off from there. A lot of people love Talia Tungavailoa. I don't know if as much as his brother, but there's people who are saying he may be the best quarterback in this whole conference. And Mel Tucker's the curious one. Michigan State was so good his first year with Kenneth Walker, and they fell off, fell off a cliff last year. So it's, will the real Spartans please stand up? But I can't really argue a lot of your other points in the East. Yeah, I think uh, this Mel Tucker thing is going to go really wrong for Michigan State. Like, we already saw it going that way last year. It's going really wrong, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) So, all right. Are we ready to flip Big Ten West? Well, we'll go over to the West here. We know Andrew's going to talk about how awesome the Hawkeyes are, but to me, this feels wide open with maybe five teams. I don't see a whole lot of air between Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. You can argue Purdue and Nebraska. For me, the West, it's the coaching changes. Old, steady, boring Kirk Ferentz is there, but you've got... Uh, Matt Rule, first year at Nebraska, all the issues that Northwestern has. David Braun, the coach for them right now. Uh, Jeff Brome, leaving producer. Ryan Walter steps in there. And then Luke Fickle stepping in at Wisconsin. So I think for me, the West is all about what do these coaching changes do. I, I, I know as a Hawkeye fan, you're not allowed to say anything nice about Brett Bielema. It, to me, the West is wide open. I, I, it pains me to admit that your Hawkeyes are probably the favorites, but I think that's just the reality. Uh, I think a lot of preseason outlets are actually making the Wisconsin Wisconsin Badgers the favorites. Hmm. And I don't understand it um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they lost Jim Leonard, who I think that's going to be a huge loss. It'd be like if Iowa lost Phil Parker and then wasn't able to replace him with anyone near as good. Um, Jim Leonard, one of the best defensive coordinators, probably the second best defensive mind in college football, only to Phil Parker. Um, But yeah. Um, And then also a lot of talk from Fickle and his offensive coach about installing an air raid offense. 
at Wisconsin, and I understand trying to modernize, but it reminds me a little bit of when Rich Rodriguez tried to change the offense at Michigan and how miserably that failed. Um, And I'm sure the air raid at Wisconsin will look good in September and through early October, uh, but then when the weather hits and the weather in Big Ten country prevents you from throwing the ball all the time, what do you do? I mean, you've got Braylon Allen, and so you're you're trying to change the identity of Wisconsin football in a way that's kind of dramatic, and it's your first year. I know that the transfer portal has helped Wisconsin. They brought a lot of guys in, especially on offense, uh, but I feel that way about all of the first-year head coaches. Like, they've done a lot to bring in um, guys that fit their system and the transfer portal can kind of speed up your building process as a first year head coach. But most of the time you're not firing on all cylinders as a first year head coach. There are a few exceptions, but that's why I think uh, the continuity of Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota kind of has an edge over the rest of these teams that are working on their first year head coach. So I think um, Illinois is probably going to take a step back because they lost Chase Brown. They lost their quarterback, DeVito. Uh, they lost a couple guys in the secondary. Devin Witherspoon. Uh, yeah, Devin Witherspoon was a big loss, but they lost a couple guys on that defensive line as well. Um, and then Nebraska, I think they're, they're working in a first-year head coach who I think is going to help them turn it around, unfortunately. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, I really think I could see Wisconsin finishing second because they, if you look at their schedule, it's it's really it sets up nicely for Wisconsin, and that's why I think Wisconsin will end up finishing second. Um, but I'll I'll put Illinois in that third spot right behind Wisconsin, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that flip flop. And then I think Minnesota is going to end up fourth, Nebraska fifth. Um, and then, oh man, who do I have at the bottom? I've got a. Uh, so well, yeah, yeah um, let me. Yeah, Purdue and Purdue will definitely be better than Northwestern. Purdue and then Northwestern. So not to bury the lead, I do think Iowa's going to win this division, um, and I think they're going to suffer one defeat this this season and it's probably at penn state on september 23 that i am picking as my candidate which makes a lot of sense um wide out game happy valley although i always had success in those situations but i think that will be the one that i will loses this season i i'm a firm believer in the transfers that i was brought in especially offensively um I think the defense is going to be top five in the nation again. And I I believe that Cade McNamara is going to turn around the offense. So, and one other thing that's giving me confidence here is last year, Kirk Ferentz wasn't shy about talking about the struggles of the offensive line and how they needed to be, to be better. We get to Big Ten media days this year, and Kirk Ferentz says the main difference that you're going to see from our team is the maturity of the offensive line. And to me, that was about all I needed to hear because 
that means that Kirk has a, a great sense of confidence in his offensive line. And he said something like, we're going to be able to get back to the standard that we're used to. Like last year, he was very nervous about the offensive line, and rightfully so, because they were absolutely atrocious. Uh, but this year, he's expressing a great deal of confidence in the offensive line. And I think that is a big reason for optimism, along with a quarterback who's done it before. Caden McNamara led Michigan to the playoffs in 2021. Um, Jim Harbaugh and a couple of teammates like Blake Corum talked about Cade McNamara's leadership at Big Ten Media Days and how pivotal, pivotal he was for Michigan as a program. So I, I don't think that those guys are just blowing smoke about that. Um, and then Eric All. I think he's, when healthy, he's a future NFL first-rounder, and so is Luke Lachey. Uh, there's a lot of NFL draft gurus that think Luke Lachey is a first-round NFL prospect. So this reminds me a little bit of the year that Iowa had uh, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson in the same year. And then I think Caleb Johnson, if there weren't all those great running backs that we mentioned in the East, we'd probably be talking about Caleb Johnson a lot more than what we are. So I think I was going 11 and one this year and they'll see Michigan and Indy and that'll be great because Cade will be versus his old team. I don't think he'll say this out loud, but he really wants some measure of revenge on Michigan. So a handful of questions coming out of that, starting with Wisconsin and not more of a statement than a question. I am really curious what Luke Fickle does. I like Luke Fickle. I believe that he can get it turn not to really need to turn Wisconsin around but I think he can be a star there a wide open Wisconsin yes please Wisconsin is one of those teams they may win nine or ten games every year but I see them on tv and I just cannot stay and watch it's they have jump around and it's fun the football is just so boring just straight ahead three yard runs all day in the least athletic quarterbacks you've ever seen if he opens that up and makes Wisconsin fun to go along with the winning I'm here for it they probably are the number two team Purdue, I do think, will fall off with the coaching change, but they do have Graham Harrell as an offensive coordinator. Curious to see what he can do. He feels like a future coach guy coming out of that Mike Leach system and considered a bit of a quarterback guru. Illinois, I think, slides back a little bit. I was trying to convince myself that Minnesota is going to be in contention. Their schedule is brutal. They host Nebraska because I forget that we do interconference games week one, but they go to North Carolina, to Iowa. They host Michigan at Ohio State, and then they end. Luckily, they host Wisconsin. There's five brutal games on that schedule. It'll be impressive if Flex team can do better than eight and five coming out of that. Again, it feels like not. I'm not as obviously as hyped on your Hawkeyes as you are. Still think nine wins may be enough to win this division. Probably Iowa one, Wisconsin two, Illinois three, Minnesota four. Purdue five, Nebraska six, and I think there's a very real chance they were already one and eleven last year, and then all the turmoil. Northwestern may be the worst power five team this season. Yeah, I I would definitely be comfortable saying Northwestern is going to be the worst power five team out there this season. I don't see double digits. I do think Iowa can get to nine wins, and then I will take Michigan to hand it to them in the Big Ten title game. Looking at the AP Top 25, 
Michigan at number three, Ohio State four, Penn State seven. Then we drop down to that, that's it. It's a weird gap uh, in the preseason AP top 25. Trying to look down here in the receiving votes category. Do have Minnesota's receiving votes, Iowa, Purdue, Maryland, interestingly, and then Illinois. So a weird gap that you have three of the top 10 teams and then a pretty wide gulf in the eyes of preseason voters. Yeah, I think as the season goes along, that Iowa will narrow that gap significantly. I understand the reason for the gap. It's based off of the offense of last year, but I I really think this team averages 30 points per game this year, and the defense does something similar to last year, and we view Iowa in the same light that we viewed Michigan last year uh, because Michigan wasn't exactly setting the world on fire offensively, um, but their defense was really good, and their offense did what it needed to do. I think Iowa's going to be in a very similar spot this year. Just my thought, just my prerogative. Very unbiased prerogative. Uh, no, I I think it. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people. It's fine. We're flying under the radar. Uh, it's okay. You'll see soon enough. I I know you don't see ten wins. Uh, but if you look at the schedule, there's there's definitely ten wins there, at, at a minimum. So. Anything else on the Big Ten before we jump over to the ACC? Uh, no, let's jump on into the ACC. The Atlantic Coast Conference moving away from divisions into one big glut of a giant conference. It feels like it's Clemson and Florida State in the eyes of the prognosticators, and then it drops down to everybody else from there. Coming into the season on the AP poll, Florida State at 11, Clemson at 13. And then we go down to Pitt at 22. Uh, looking at the coaches here, seeing if we have any uh, new faces. Jeff Brome takes over at Louisville. We'll talk more about them later. Uh, only one new coach in the ACC compared to the Big Ten where we had a slug of them. Uh, so we'll we'll start there. We'll get a little bit deeper here on the top teams. But to listen to the experts, this is Florida State versus Clemson. Yeah, and I, I agree. Um I think Florida State could truly be a playoff contender. I uh, believe in Jordan Travis. They have Trey Benson, I believe, in their backfield. And then they brought in Jaheim Bell from South Carolina at tight end and then Fentrell Cypress for cornerback. And in a stunning move, I thought Jared Verse was going to go pro because he was seen as potentially a top 10 NFL draft pick, but he chose to stay. And I think all those things coming together, Johnny Wilson, a wide receiver who really burst onto the scene last year. And then I believe that Florida state got Keon Coleman from Michigan state as well. I could be wrong. You might have to fact check me on that, but I think all the pieces are there kind of for Mike Norvell's team to really, really make a, a run and they'll have to go through a really tough schedule from the jump because they're going to play what I believe is a pretty good LSU team again. Uh, so on a neutral field, I believe, but FSU, LSU, and then we're getting FSU Clemson on September 23rd, I believe. And that will probably be what decides 
the ACC, who's one and two. Uh, but I think the those teams are probably playing a second time again for the ACC championship. I'm. I think it's really interesting that people are taking Florida State over Clemson. Clemson has mostly dominated this division for the last ten years with Dabo at the helm. Everybody is all in on Jordan Travis. I see it. I see flashes of it. I'm not totally sold. We'll talk more about Mr. May and the Tar Heels here in a minute. This team seems to be all about Jordan Travis. Without him, I'm not as sold on what else they bring to the table. Mike Norvell is one of those guys who people wanted to run out of town after one year. And for Florida State's sake, they've stuck with him and he's really made them a tremendous team. I think they're a 10-win team. I just don't know that they're in Clemson's class right now. For me, this is still Clemson, still Dabo. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then I like the Tar Heels and the Miami Hurricanes. Maybe a bit of a crazy thought. So I think there's a few more teams mixing in here, and the pollsters have Pitt in there. It, I don't know that this is the two-horse race that a lot of people see it as. I think Clemson has a step on Florida State and the rest of the class, though. Hmm. I think the unknown with Cade Klubnick and then also I I couldn't name a Clemson wide receiver right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> like it's not, not sure. like years past where you got T Higgins or Sammy Watkins or Justin Ross or yeah, I can't name a receiving threat of Clemson. And also Dabo is against using the transfer portal for whatever reason. And I think, uh, Florida State went all in and knocked it out of the park with the transfer portal. And that is what gives me a lot of uh, belief in them. Now, I do think, obviously, the talent of Drake May, I don't think North Carolina is that far off, but I do think it's a top top two. And then we got to consider Duke. If we look at Duke and their schedule and – how they performed Riley Leonard's back. And then I think they bring back like nearly their whole offensive line and their whole backfield as well. And a lot of wide receivers. I think Duke brings back a lot of starters on offense. And I, I kind of see like North Carolina and Duke because of the way the schedule lays out for them, kind of being like nine win teams, but not, not quite Florida state or Clemson level. I think Florida state has the ceiling to become a playoff contender, but I don't really see that with anyone else. I see that with Florida state, but not Clemson or anyone else in the conference. When I started looking at this, my preconception was that the ACC is bad. It's Clemson, supposedly Florida state, and then it falls off. But you look at Drake may leading North Carolina with Mac Brown still at the helm. I can only like them so much because Gene Chizik is their defensive coordinator, so can, my fandom can only go so far. I think they're a sleeper team, and like you mentioned, Duke, Mike Elko has taken over the coach there, 9-4 and four in his first year. Always a tough place to play and win. I think you're right on that Duke can be in there. We know Pitt's typically always going to contend, and watch out for Louisville. I know I've already called a couple sleepers here, but the Cardinals, no Florida State on the schedule. No Clemson on the schedule. They do have Notre Dame slipping in there, and they have to go to Miami. I would not be shocked if we're looking at 9-10 and when Louisville with Jeff Brome as the head coach. Can he do that much in year one? 
maybe a tall order. A pretty soft schedule. Hosting Notre Dame going to Pitt, maybe your two toughest games. Then how you feel about Miami late in the season. Watch out for the Cardinals to at least be at least in that nine to ten win conversation. Yeah, I think so. And then they have a receiver that transferred in named Jamari Thrash, who I think could be the best wide receiver in the ACC. It'll probably be a Johnny Wilson, Jamari Thrash race there. I'm a little bit down on Miami, on Pitt, obviously on Wake Forest after Sam Hartman went to Notre Dame. Uh, I, yeah, and Jack Plummer, who played for Jeff Brom at Purdue, is with him at Louisville. So I think the Louisville offense is pretty decent this year. Uh, question mark is going to be the defense there. And then I think uh, Brendan Armstrong went to NC State. I'd probably put Louisville and NC State in a nice little battle for five or six or maybe higher. They could probably battle. I really think it's going to be Duke, NC State, Louisville for that four to six range in some order. And then it probably drops down to Miami, Pitt, Syracuse, Wake Forest. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of the rest of the ACC there. I think Virginia probably going to bring up the back end and then Virginia tech and Georgia tech throw them in there somewhere too, but in Boston college. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I see it panning out. It's mentioned Virginia tech, just a quick side note on them. I feel this way about Texas, USC, Nebraska, some of these programs, I think we're all just better off when they're good when it feels like there's a little bit more parity instead of just, okay, let's pencil in Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. When Virginia Tech and the Frank Beamer and Beamer ball era, you could always rely on Virginia Tech to be a contender. And of course, we had the real peak with the Michael Vick years. I want Virginia Tech to be good again. It's weird to see them being three and eight, and they really bottomed out at the end of the Fuentes era. See what Brent Pry can do in year number two with the Hokies. I just want Virginia Tech to be good. I don't really have a vested interest in them. I just think it's good for college football. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Uh, Also, we got to talk about the elephant in the room is I really think that Florida State and probably to a lesser extent Clemson want out of the ACC with all the realignment talk that's going on. Um, There was a rumor that dropped last night, and I don't think – I don't think it's valid, but maybe it is. Uh, Oregon, Washington, Florida State, Clemson joining the Big Ten. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but I do know that Florida State is trying to make their way out currently. So I guess I could see it. I don't know if the Big Ten is the most natural fit. I think... The SEC is more natural fit for Florida State, but it's just a matter if the SEC wants them. And then I don't know about those other schools, but we're uh, the Colorado of the Big 12 thing really set some more dominoes in motion for realignment talk. For what? So, Would that, but that make the Big 10 20 teams if they had those four? Is that the current number? If- yeah, which I do think is uh, what the Big 10 wants to get to. Uh, 20 teams, put them in uh, four pods of five teams each. 
you know, a West, a Midwest, um, the East, and then, I don't know, it, the in-between Midwest slash East portion with your Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Um, I Obviously, they will probably want to get Notre Dame in there, too. So I don't know uh, how it's all going to shake out. But I do think the Big, Big Ten and the SEC, once they – I believe they're going to be at 20 with Texas and Oklahoma. I could be wrong. They're at 18. I think they're at 18 with Texas and Oklahoma. But, um, yeah, I think that's what ultimately what happens is we get to 20-team conferences between the big and the SEC. Not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but how lucky are, like, Indiana and Rutgers that they got in on this train early? And then they just get to be lumped in the Big Ten. Everybody else is coming in, these bigger, better brands, and all these conferences are worried about folding, and teams are trying to find a spot, and they're just sitting pretty. Like, oh, we're in. We got in a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, Indiana's been in the Big Ten for forever. But, yeah, uh, Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska. uh, Yeah, or brands in the SEC, like Vanderbilt. Right. Mississippi State, maybe not the biggest brands out there. Um, but they're just lucky to be hanging on. Anyways, we don't have to go too far down that rabbit hole. I think we just have to mention it when we talk AC, ACC and then Pac-12. Well, I uh, want to get to one team that you mentioned you were not as high on. I am all in because I've become a convert to the Mario Cristobal sermons and what he does. He for my money, is the best offensive line developer in college football. It's been the strength of his team since he's taken over. Did it at Oregon, and they've turned out a lot of great offensive linemen doing it at Miami. He's also got a pair of safeties that are preseason all-conference with a lot of hype around them. A bit of a tough schedule, so I think they may get beaten up a little bit here, but a team that's 5-7, and seven, I could see getting to 8-9 eight and nine, eight to nine wins. They do have to play Texas A&M at North Carolina, at Florida State, and then Clemson and Louisville. So a tough road for them. A team that I think could be in that 8-5, to 9-4 and four conversation. If you're looking for a team, I don't have my Vegas odds in front of me, but a team to hit the over, feel good about the return on investment for the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, it's believe it when I see it for the Miami Hurricanes. So... Uh. So do we want to make some ACC? Because, again, doing away with the Coastal and the Atlantic, so it's just going to be the top two teams playing for the championship games. What is your ACC title prediction? Florida State Clemson. um, Florida State wins and secures a playoff spot. Ooh. I will take Clemson to defeat North Carolina. Let's see the Drake May hype train going crazy this year. I do think they end up being on the outside looking in, maybe a 10 and 2. I guess they'd be 11 and 2 after at that point. I think the ACC will be the team on the outside looking in when it comes playoff time from the Power Five with Clemson as the champion. Will, will we ever learn our lesson with North Carolina quarterbacks and hype? No, that's I, I am more worried about Drake May's hype than anybody else, but I'm I'm willing to go down with that ship. All right. Fair. You stuck to your guns with Sam Howell. You'll do it again with Drake May. Uh, We didn't do this podcast when Trubisky existed, (laughs) but I imagine you would have gone for Trubisky as well. I'm sticking with with Sam Howell on the Commanders. 
Oh. Give me um, one year with him in the NFL before I jump ship. Yeah, that's fair. One full year before you can jump ship, but I, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Anyways, we can continue on. And we will finish up with our third conference this week. My beloved Pac-12, an adopted homer to the Pac-12. It feels kind of like a conference of the haves and have-nots with your top half and your bottom half. I think you have USC, Oregon, Washington, Utah as your big four, and then maybe Oregon State flirting with that. And then I think you really drop down to the bottom. Stanford rebuilding. I don't think the Arizona schools are going to be that great. Washington State's kind of in that middle ground area. I would like to see them do well, but I think they take a step back this year. Uh, And then UCLA, a bit of a wild card. And no, I'm not buying the Coach Prime hype in year one. I think Colorado has a long way to go before they get back. For me, I think it's a wide open race, but I think you've got especially three USC, Oregon, Utah, and then I think a step back to Washington, Oregon State, UCLA. Some people, most people have Washington in there for the top four. Yeah, a lot. Some people are are hyping Washington up as a sneaky playoff contender. I don't know if I'm there on Washington or really USC. Um, I think Florida State's going to take the spot that was meant for USC or in a lot of people's minds. But anyways, I think Florida State's going to be our TCU. It's basically how I'm looking at it this year. The spot that TCU had last year, I think that's going to Florida State. Um, but anyways, uh, I see this as probably a USC-Oregon-Utah race, and I don't know how to call it. I th- think I like... I think I like USC the most just because I don't want to bet against Caleb Williams. Uh, But we also saw what Utah did to USC and Caleb Williams last year. And I think that Utah is just a really complete team year in and year out. Um, I think that the USC defense is going to be better this year. I don't really know. Um, If it is, then I think USC is probably going to make me look stupid for saying they won't make the playoffs. But I'll slightly lean USC just because I like Caleb Williams. And then I think I got Utah second, Oregon third. Just because I like the overall makeup of Utah more than Oregon. Um, Not as big of a believer in Bo Nix as some other people are. Oh, Washington. Wow. Did I just literally just forget about Washington? I think Washington's going to be really explosive offensively. But again, I have a lot of questions about defensively, the health of Michael Penix. I think that's been called into question more than a few times. Was he going on his seventh year, same as Bo Nix? Michael Penix and Bo Nix have been around forever. Yeah, it's their last, you know, their their 10th year. They've spent a decade in the Pac-12. I don't. In college football? Yeah, Yeah, it feels that way. Anyways, um, yeah, I just don't – okay, I'll revise, and I'll go Washington 3, Oregon 4. That's how I think it ends up. And then probably Oregon State shortly after that at 5th. And then give me Arizona sneaking up to 6. I like – I like some stuff that I've read about Arizona and the offense that they have. Uh, Jaden Delora, they lost Dorian Singer to USC, 
unfortunately, but I think they bring back Jacob Cowan and some other some other uh, offensive pieces, and I think they were really starting to turn things around, at least on offense, and I think uh, Arizona is going to have the offensive firepower to finish six, and then it doesn't really matter between... Um, I will say, though, I don't think they're... I'm not buying the Coach Prime hype either. I think of the first-year head coaches, the more successful one is going to be Troy Taylor in Stanford rather than Coach Prime. I think long-term. I followed a little bit of Sacramento State football last year because one of the Kings beat writers also covered Sacramento State. Nice. And so I got a lot of Sacramento State and Troy Taylor tweets, and I saw a lot of stuff. Um, I really, really like Troy Taylor as a head coach now and in the future. So I will be uh, following Stanford a little bit more, and who knows? It could be a Big Ten team here in a few years, and so I'll really be paying attention then. Um, Like you said, UCLA, a a little bit of a wild card. They got Dante Moore. That's really the story here in this conference, right, is just all the quarterbacks that are out there. There's plenty of good quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and also the story here is that it's kind of the swan song for the conference as a whole because three teams are leaving after this year. Yeah, so a lot of points there to dive into. I want to start with the quarterbacks. You mentioned it. This conference, I will put the Pac-12 this year up against any other conference. When you look at the quarterback play, it is ridiculous. Caleb Williams, obviously the star at USC. Bo Nix at Oregon, Michael Penix at Washington, and you add in Jaden Jaden Delore, you mentioned at Arizona, Shadur Sanders at Colorado, DJ Uyunglele transferring to Oregon State, that kind of gets lost. And then Cam Rising, if he's back healthy at Utah, another guy who's in his seventh or eighth senior season, there's seven or eight amazing quarterbacks in this conference alone this year. It's I think three of your top five Heisman candidates are all playing in the Pac-12. So if you want to watch exciting quarterbacks and a lot of guys who are going to get shots at the next level, find yourself uh, find some Pac-12 after dark this year. Uh, I know I will be before uh, the Pac-12 heads to Ion. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> ah, the poor Pac-12. It's it's such a weird dichotomy because as an outsider to the Pac-12, hearing Pac-12 people talk about "woe is me" and we're always forgotten and nobody cares about us, we're the beleaguered, unloved redheaded stepchild Pac-12. But then it's also like, well, you're the West Coast coastal elites. So you, the ones who thought you were too good for the Big 12 and you look down on Colorado for coming over from the Big 12, like, who are you? You don't belong in our conference. And now the Pac-12 is the one on its knees. So it's a, it's weird when you hear local people versus national people talk about the Pac-12 and how the conference is viewed in the state of things. I never thought they would be the one to fold. I always thought that if we got to four, that the ACC would be the one that got divvied up between the other conferences and the powerful Pac-12 on the West Coast with L.A. and California and everything that that brings to the table. And now here we are trying to see if the Pac-12 is even going to survive. Um, spoiler alert, it won't. Um, <laughs> because we're not that far off from... Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what the Big Ten does. But I do think that the ACC is going to fall apart as well. And we'll really be left with uh, the big two power two, and then the big 12, which is not 
really the Big 12. Like, they should probably rename it because it's going to be just some sort of conglomeration of the best of the rest, basically. Um, so, you know, that's that's a whole other conversation that we won't get to. But anyways, your Pac-12 predictions? Have you said who's going to uh, win this conference this year? I was I'm trying to I think it's going to come down to scheduling. I'm trying to see who plays what, when and where. Utah feels like the safe bet to always get 10 wins. Their non-conference includes Florida and at Baylor. Uh they have to go to USC. Yeah, the it's a tough road for the Utes. They do feel like the safe bet. I'm going to go crazy and pick Oregon as a as a bit of a sorry, biased pick. Uh, pretty easy start to the year other than going to Texas Tech if you are buying into some of the people who think there's a lot to Texas Tech this year. But the first five or six weeks, it's all right. Go to Washington and at Utah, I don't love, but they get to host USC and they do host the no longer called the Civil War uh, against the Beavers at the end of the year. I think Oregon may come through this maybe with a single loss if you stumble at Washington or at Utah. I think you're going to look at the Ducks versus USC. That's my title game. I just think it's going to, for me, Oregon 1, USC 2, Utah 3. Happy to see the Beavers do well. If people don't know about Jonathan Smith, the coach there, the alma mater, he was the guy, the quarterback in the early 2000s with the Chad Ochocinco, TJ Hushmanzada, all those kind of things. The guy bleeds black, uh, black and orange for the Beavers. So I think they'll be in there. Washington's the one that I'm not buying. I think they may take a bit of a step back this year. As much as I love Michael Penix, I think he's going to have a great season. I think he has NFL potential. I think Kalen DeBoer long-term will have the Huskies there. I just think a step back for them. Play Boise State. Go to Michigan State. Um, At USC. I I just think Washington's going to be down on the talent level. And I, I, I... you mentioned Troy Taylor. People don't know Sacramento state was like awful forever. And then in three years, he made them into a FCS powerhouse. So there's so much to like, but I'm going to go Oregon over USC. And I think Oregon gets that number four playoff seed. Uh, we'll break all that down later. Uh, so Oregon, USC, Utah, three, Oregon state, four, Washington, five, UCLA 6, Washington State 7. I do like Cal. Justin Wilcox is a defensive guru. It's just Cal. They haven't been able to get enough around him. And then I think you fall down to the Arizona schools. Stanford, I think it's going to take Troy Taylor a couple of years. Maybe they get to five wins this year, and then in two years we're looking back, and he's got them right up here at the apex. So give me the Ducks. All right, and... All of this prognostication to go out the window when it ends up being Colorado versus Arizona in the Pac-12 championship. <laughs> I People love Jed Fish as the coach when he got there, a guy who's been around the game for a long time. People were thrilled to see Jed Fish finally get a shot with Arizona. And then they remember it's Arizona and maybe not the most dedicated program to their college football team. Uh, no, not at all. Dedicated to their basketball team. That's where they're going to fit great when they eventually go to the Big 12. <laughs> Uh, all in all, I think it'll be one of the more fun conferences. Obviously, I'm biased. I think a, a lot of great teams. And even though Colorado, I don't think it'll be good. You're going to get whatever Dion's going to bring to the table each week in terms of sideline entertainment. Yeah, it'll be a very entertaining conference. Unfortunately, no one will be able to watch it. 
<laughs> because no one can watch the Pac-12 Network. We only get the ESPN games at Pac-12 After Dark. Um, people in Pac-12 country don't get the Pac-12 Network, nor watch the Pac-12 Network, so don't feel too bad. I know, it sucks, especially in a year like this when there's going to be a lot of good Pac-12 games. And I need a fix of watching college football on Saturday night. Well, there's only one Pac-12 game on. I feel safe in saying Caleb Williams is probably the biggest star in college football this year. Is that? Yeah, that it's, him or, it, it's him or Drake May. And it'll be, it'll be hard, to find, hard to find the games of the highest profile player. Which is very weird. I'm looking at week one here, not a, I guess the week zero games. I'm trying to see when our first great game of the season is. Um, Florida, Utah. We have Florida, Utah. We have Clemson, uh, South Carolina on week one as well. I think that might be kind of interesting. I think South Carolina isn't a great team, but could play Clemson pretty heavily. And then I think that, um, Florida State LSU game is not a Saturday, but a Sunday night. Oh, weird. It was a Sunday night last year, too. I can't remember if they put it. Yeah, they're putting it on a Sunday night. And then we do have on Monday, September 4, because it's Labor Day weekend. College football decided that they would just take over Labor Day weekend completely. Nice. Um, We got Clemson Duke on September 4 on a Monday night. Interesting. So, yeah, not a not a bad game. I think hopefully Clemson might blow them out, but we'll find out a lot about Duke if I just hyped him up a little bit, but we'll we'll find out if the hype is real. So, if we want to do a quick recap here for your so your three conference champions, you had Michigan in the Big 10, Florida State in the ACC, and you went with which team in the Pac-12? USC, but barely. USC. So since we're not going to have full-fledged Andrew for our next preview, uh, do you want to give us your quick Big 12 and SEC winners? And maybe some mid-majors if there's any two lanes of the world out there that you like? Georgia and the SEC. Um, Texas and the Big 12. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do the thing? I'm doing the thing. Come on, do it. Say it. Say it. Say what? Say the Texas thing. Oh, no, I'm not going to say the Texas thing. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say it. But uh, Texas is going to win the Big 12. I think they're – I really like everything they have on offense, even though they lost Bijan. Uh, Xavier Worthy's back. They brought in, uh, they have Jatavion Sanders. I like Ewers. Again, Texas is probably going to fall flat on their face and they'll be Kansas State or something, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I like Georgia, even with the quarterback change. I think they brought in Carson Beck to play quarterback, and I don't think that Georgia will really miss much of a beat. Alabama, the quarterback situation gives me a little bit of pause. Maybe LSU is a sneaky contender. I know that people are hyping up Tennessee, but I've seen Joe Milton play football, and I am not hyping up Joe Milton. I'm not believing in Graham Mertz at Florida. 
Uh, yeah. So go ahead and give me Georgia. I know shocking. And then as far as mid majors, UTSA, Tulane, Troy. Ooh, Troy. Nice one. Yep. And Coastal Carolina. I think people know about Coastal Carolina, but Grayson McCall is back for his eighth year. <laughs> uh, he never goes anywhere. Unfortunately, going to be a down year for my adopted App State Mountaineers. I think it's going to be a little bit of a transition year there, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, so... I think those are the teams to look out for. I think Western Kentucky might have a little bit of pop. Um, Ohio in the MAC. Oh. It's going to be an interesting team. Yeah, we're going to get a nice look at Ohio when Iowa State goes to Ohio in the non-conference. Ohio Iowa State loves to lose those games. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm not going to predict that they will, but it, it might end up being a little bit closer than people expect. So on the on the mid-major front, heading into the year, Tulane is up at 9. Impressive for them. And then we go down. Troy at 19. Fresno State at 24. Those are the, the best of the little guys. UTSA just outside receiving votes. Air Force, Boise, as you, you would expect. Marshall, those are your... No, I like when it's somebody new like Tulane. I feel, did they lose their coach? I thought their coach went somewhere else. Um, no, they did not lose their coach. Um, their coach is actually a little bit on the older side. Um, so I don't think he's like a young, hot coaching prospect necessarily. I'll save this for the second part of this when I get really into the SEC, but I'm looking at all the quarterbacks in the SEC and I am... I am not blown away. We just talked about how great the Pac-12 is and the Big Ten has a decent amount. I'm just kind of looking around and you talked about a few of them, but Jaden Daniels and Spencer Rattler, are those the two best quarterbacks in the SEC this year? I think so. Wow. I think so. Yeah. In terms of quarterback play, the SEC on uh, the five power five conferences as we know them now, I think the SEC is fifth on that list. Wow. Yeah. But I guess when you're when you're surrounded by five star receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, and you just and running need... backs and running backs, you don't really need great quarterback play. That's yeah. why Georgia has had such a luxury. Um, Carson Beck doesn't have to quite be Stetson Bennett for them to be in contention to win it all, and I don't I don't think he will be. Um, but I could see LSU rising up. I think Jaden Daniels is a great quarterback. We'll find out. Uh, a lot about them. I think that week one game between Florida State and LSU is going to be some must-see TV. It was last year. It was a great game last year. So, how much how much thicker will Brian Kelly's accent be after a full year on the Bayou? I don't know. I think it's all fake. No. I think Brian Kelly's accent is fake. Georgia starts... Sorry. You didn't know you were going to get a conspiracy theory from me tonight. <laughs> Georgia starts week one against UT Martin. Well, it's better than playing uh, that kind of a team in week 10, or do they do that too? Let me get their schedule. Who's their big rival? Is Georgia Tech their last game? Do you really need a warm-up for Georgia Tech? Yeah, they do. Ooh, no, they actually... 
every SEC team gets their little FCS warm up before the last week of the season. I mean, they do play Vanderbilt before they play Florida. So maybe that's their warm up. But I prop props to Georgia at least for the latter half of their schedule. So their November their last three games: Ole Miss at Tennessee at Georgia Tech. So unless you consider Georgia Tech the powder puff in that, props to the Bulldogs for taking two hard games in November. No, and no week off. So Florida, Ole Miss, Tennessee in three out of four weeks with no bye. All right. Well, props to Georgia, um, but to the rest of the SEC that plays FCS teams in week 11, <laughs> no props to you. Now, what what kind of, uh, now that you got me thinking about this, what kind of paper competition is Alabama? Oh, they got they got Middle Tennessee. We we get Alabama Texas again, September 9th. Right. Um. Oh, so yes, the Alabama will be playing Chattanooga the week before the Iron Bowl. Yeah, it's a sneaky little scheduling move that the SEC does, so that people somehow think that the SEC plays these really tough teams, but really they play two FCS schools a year to boost their records of all their teams. <laughs> So we're on, that's week 13. That's on about right. Yeah. Week the week 13 in the sec. No, just remember remember, folks, sec records are overinflated. So we get teams are overrated. We get Alabama and Chattanooga, Texas A&M versus Abilene Christian. You get a couple matchups, Georgia, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. Uh, Mississippi State and Southern Miss, Arkansas versus FIU, LSU taking on Georgia State, Ole Miss getting UL Monroe, and Auburn getting New Mexico State. And so, take that, Big Ten. Uh, Big Ten plays all conference games that week. Exactly. <laughs> and so do all of the other big conferences. They play all play conference games that week. Yeah, Minnesota will be playing Ohio State and Rutgers gets Penn State. So good luck with those. All right, looking forward to the Minnesota upset that week. Um, I believe it is the week of October 14th that is actually just absolutely loaded. In like all football or in the Big Ten? In all football, including the Big Ten. But all of football, I, I'm looking it up as we speak. Yeah, we've got. I'm pretty sure October 14th is just a massive day. Iowa, Wisconsin probably decides the division. Uh, Auburn, LSU, um, A&M, Tennessee, Oregon, Washington. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm just, I'm just looking at it. BYU, TCU, Auburn, LSU. Arkansas, Alabama. Um, yeah, Oregon, Washington's a huge one. USC, Notre Dame. Are you guys ever going to get Notre Dame, or are they going to get to be the one holdout in these four power conferences, and then Notre Dame gets to be alone? I I don't know. Um, funny story, though. In uh, the late 2010s, Iowa actually had a non-conference series lined up with Notre Dame. Um wanted to back out of Cyhawk to do it because that was the only time that worked. How dare you? Uh, Jamie Pollard would not allow it. Yeah, darn right. Tradition. Sure. You got- I much rather I much rather would have played a 
a national game with uh, Notre Dame, to you be got, quite honest. You got me to defend Jamie Pollard on something. I think that's the first time I've ever done that. Yeah, well, make it the last time because it would have been <laughs> way more beneficial um, for uh, Iowa to go ahead and uh, play Notre Dame. But I digress. We'll be getting Notre Dame at some point. I just don't know when. But anyways, I, I digress. Uh, it'll be an interesting season. Looking forward to college football. Just having it on my TV. I'm going to be all over week zero, even. I I just can't even wait for week zero. With, uh, man, San Jose State, USC, unfortunately, on the Pac-12 network. But yeah, I'll be watching pretty much anything that's on for college football once it starts. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. Sign me up for these ready to get back into it. Watch these games. Give me that Saturday starting at nine AM and going till nine o'clock at night with our what do we have? Is it NBC? Big Ten games like every single Saturday night. There's a Big Ten game on NBC now. Yeah. And then um in that CBS slot that used to be SEC will also be Big Ten on at two thirty as well. Um uh, Iowa Penn State, I think, is the first Big Ten CBS night game. I think it'll be a six thirty on CBS. That's so weird. Yeah, it's very. It's going to be very interesting to uh, to adjust to for sure. Well, we look forward to bringing it to you all every week. Our opinions, our prognostications, and we'll look back on this and see how well we did with our conference oh i we didn't actually do your final four who are your four playoff teams right now we got your champions that we didn't do your playoff four. michigan florida state georgia usc representation all over the place i don't want to spoil too much but as much as i hate to admit it i'm a little high on alabama this year more than i want to be but more on that in the future Go ahead and look up Alabama quarterbacks, and then you'll completely <laughs> change your mind. Uh, guys who can hand it off and throw five-yard outs. That's all I need. Uh, I think Alabama needs a little more than that in this current day and age, but I, I get where you're going. Oh, Anything else we need to get on this week's show? That does it for me. All right, well, we thank you all for joining us. We'll be back next week. Current plan is to have Austin on to talk some baseball. We'll get uh, the guys back in here to do the second half of this preview. Andrew coming back in a couple of weeks to do some fantasy football deep dives for the NFL season. And then we will do back-to-back NFC preview, AFC preview. So about the next month or so sketched out here. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next week. Keep your stick on the ice.